Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show. Today, I am so honored and grateful for this interview. I am getting to share one of my incredible clients, Kellyanne Appleton, with you today. We have had the pleasure of working together for the last six months, and I've watched all the changes that she has put into place and what she's done. And she is just an absolutely beautiful soul. So today we're speaking with mindset and success coach, Kellyanne Appleton. As a self-proclaimed seeker, Kellyanne has spent the last 20 years of her life on a quest to learn to love and understand herself. After years of personal growth and healing, she finally happened on the material that reinforced and solidified her belief that everything she was searching for was inside of her. In 2020, she became certified in the work through the Proctor Gallagher Institute. And as an empathetic and intuitive mindset and success coach, she is passionate about helping others to transform their lives through this work, to break the patterns, to uncover their power, to create a life they love, and to truly know that they are worthy of all good things. She sounds incredible, right? Because she is. Here's the thing. Kellyanne has an unbelievable backstory. And this is the piece that I think is so powerful. We talked all things about shame and how we hold on to our shame and let it identify us and become part of who we are and how it has the fuel to do that because we don't talk. We don't talk about the difficult things in life. She shared some incredible examples of really who do we listen to? Who do we follow? Where are we taking advice from? Who is in the arena with us? And how we can change our life at any time. Kellyanne was one of 47 women who were successful in bringing their abuser to justice in the largest case of non-residential sexual abuse by a Catholic priest in North America. She has spoken at a number of events and her story was highlighted in an episode of the CBC, the fifth estate called the good father. This is an incredible story. Honestly, I'm so proud of her for showing up, sharing her voice and doing the work that she is doing in this world. I know you're going to love the show. Welcome to the show, Kellyanne. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Thank you, Marcia. I always love talking with you. Yes, we are definitely in each other's like Voxer and there's DMs and there's sharing and we've had so many different conversations, but I'm thrilled to have you as a guest on the show because to me, you completely embody everything that we talk about, like literally everything that we talk about. So I'm thrilled to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So tell everyone a little bit about you, where you live in, you're in Ontario. Yes, mm-hmm. I live in Chatham, Ontario, happily married to my husband, Chris, for mm-hmm. 
32 years. I have three grown children and uh, I have a granddaughter who is almost four and I sell real estate after retiring from teaching after 25 years, decided to start selling real estate and am now starting into my passion, which is mindset coaching. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly, I could not be more excited because mindset coaching is something that, uh, listen, everybody needs, like everybody needs some kind of mindset support because our brain will always go back to the things, the stories, the limiting beliefs, the things that we have lived through. And sometimes then that becomes our identity, right? So I love this, that mindset coaching is such a big part of what you do, because I think it fits in perfectly with your story. I really do. We're going to, we're going to dive into very shortly. I had the pleasure of meeting your entire family last week, except for your granddaughter, right? Like it was yes. like, other than that, I got to meet everyone else. Yes, is, you did. <laughs> which is really, really like, it's so cool because we, that doesn't happen too much in the online space. No. No. And we got to meet at an event that you decided like two months ago that you wanted to host and then you organized it, sold it out. Tell us a little bit about what the name of that event is and why it was so important to you. So the event was called Unspoken with the un out um, because it, it was it was something that had been on my heart for quite a while. I wanted to host an event where people could share their stories in person, live. I know we have been able to do that. And you're certainly a part of that, Marsha, sharing stories through books and things like that, um, collaborative books. But sharing a story in person and feeling the energy and the feedback from Um, the listeners who are holding space for you. To me, it just felt it, it was a very kind of sacred thing for me. That's how it felt. It felt like I was being held as I spoke by the people who were there. And I think there's so much power in sharing your story in a live event. So the idea behind it was, I believe that there are so many things in life, in relationships that go unspoken, things that we need to start talking about, challenging, vulnerable stories that have for years been kept in the dark and have made people feel like they are very alone. So that was my reason for wanting to share. I wanted people to feel they were not alone. I wanted to share stories of hope that the women who spoke had gone through some very challenging things in their life, but there were happy endings because even though life is certainly not perfect for any of them, they have been able to heal and walk through the journey and come out the other side as better, stronger, and braver women who have something to share. They have a wisdom 
that somebody needs to hear, whether it's only one person. And I think that's when I started, when I decided that I was going to, to do this, I said to myself, if only one person in that space, in that audience, takes something from one of these stories, then it has been all worth it. Mm-hmm. The feedback has been, I still, this morning I was at the chiropractor and I still got, I got feedback this morning. So the feedback has been mm-hmm. overwhelming. And I know from just the people who have reached out to me that each story touched somebody who was there that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love seeing the feedback that you've been getting and I love how the entire event came together. It's, it really does show that, I mean, we're missing this connection. We've missed this over the last couple of years. And a lot of people have been struggling in silence. They really have been, um, or feeling alone or isolated and coming into a space like that, where speakers are sharing probably some of the lowest points of their life. Like, to be honest, it was probably some of the lowest points of their life and how they found their way through like very practical tips were given very like things that you could implement as soon as you went home, little things that really did add up. I think it really created such a beautiful connection with the people that were there. And that's one of the, one of my favorite things about being in a live event, which I missed very much. So is when it's done, the connections with total strangers who come up and you could see, I know there was a couple of people who, who said to me, you know, your story hit home for me and you could see the emotion in their face. You could see, but they couldn't say anything more. And, you know, they wanted to, but it was just that space. And I just remember thinking, you know what, like, even that is courageous. Like, can we just celebrate being in this space and honoring that, you know, these stories have impacted all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they definitely have. And as I say, I'm starting to see the ripple effects from some of this, because I was speaking to somebody yesterday who shared part of her story with me and a connection that she made at the event um, with somebody who she thinks can help her. And so it's, I just think there are so many ripple effects. And I know you've seen that Marsha from sharing your story. I have seen it from sharing mine, um, as you say, strangers who you don't even know, you know, I've had phone calls. I've had people email me, people who I don't know Mm -hmm. who are telling me what these stories have meant to them. Yeah. There's definitely something I want to come back to later because I know we can get support from strangers and we can also receive either some criticism, judgment, or shame from strangers or even family. Like we can just because it's very scary for everyone when we start to add a voice to our stories, right? It's this, all of a sudden it feels like the spotlight is on everyone and that can be very uncomfortable for a lot of people. And so I know that that is, I think we talked about this last week, Um, but I want to get into your story first that you have experienced that as well as I just think it's important for people to know that, you know, our critics are always there. They're always there and it has nothing to do with us. Right. Right. So 
you to me are a prime example of this show, this concept, everything that we do about sharing stories. And I would love it if wherever you feel comfortable, you would share a little bit of your story. Okay. Um, I grew up in a wonderful, happy home and was an active member of my church, which is a Catholic church, mm-hmm. as was my family, went to a Catholic school. And when I was nine years old, my parish priest began to sexually abuse me for approximately two years. And that was something that I was able to lock deep inside me. And it was something that I did share with my parents, um, not when it happened, but a couple years later. And they believed me, which is huge. Is huge. Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate that they believed me. But as was the, you know, kind of the case at and the and that time, they never talk, talked about it again. We never spoke about it again. And they thought they were protecting me. Of course, they were doing the best that they knew how. But what happened is that silence just reinforced that shame that I carried about it. And I would come to realize that that shame began to define me. And it wasn't until, you know, I lived what I thought was a very normal life, thinking that knowing, always knowing that I had been abused, but thinking that it really hadn't impacted me that much. And I think about that now and I realize I was so, so wrong about that. And it wasn't until um, 2006. So I would have been my mid to do the math. I don't know, 40, Mm -hmm. 40-ish. When I read an article in the paper that some women were coming forward to accuse him of sexually abusing them as children and everything came back. He was 84 years old at that time. And I always believed that I would never have justice. I knew that um, there were a few people had been, who had been abused by him, but I had no idea of the extent And when I saw his name in the paper, they were asking for other women who might have been victimized to come forward to the police. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the next few months, 46 other women came forward and we ended up bringing him finally to justice. And he was charged, was found guilty of 47 counts of sexual abuse of little girls. And we know there were many, many more, but those were the ones who came forward and he went to jail and died three months later in jail. So that was the catalyst for me to start my healing journey. I had, I, there was no way I had healed (laughs) before all before that time. I just hidden it Um, kind of in a drawer in my consciousness, my subconscious, I'd hidden it away. And when I came forward, 
the drawer was opened and I had to deal with it. <laughs> I'm not laughing. Wait, like anybody who's listening, you have to, we're not laughing, but I can, what I could just picture was all of a sudden like this drawer that's like jammed full of stuff and all of a sudden open and it's like literally flying everywhere. Every, exactly. Like, Everything yeah. flew out. Yeah. Everything. All those things that I had worked so hard mm-hmm. that I didn't even know I had worked so hard. I didn't even know that I didn't even know I had shame about it. It was only, it was at that point where I started to uncover exactly how it had affected me. And that was the beginning of my healing journey. Thank you for sharing all of that with us, because I know, I know it's not easy and I do know what it's like to all of a sudden let that cover off and it just starts going everywhere. And it's like, wow, when was this an issue? But when we push things down for so long, that's just how our body responds, right? And I'm curious, when you read it in the paper, was there ever any doubt about coming forward? Or what like, what did you feel when you read it? It's like, I have to say something or, oh my gosh, can I do this? What was that like? No, it was very much, I have to say something. Um, I have never been one to withhold my voice in things, mm-hmm. but I've always been pretty outspoken, maybe not in a good way. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I see you. <laughs> so no, I, there was no doubt as soon as I saw it, because I never believed that that would ever happen, that there would ever be any justice for any of this. Well, he was um, 84 at the time. So yes. I'm sure it like subconsciously you're also at a point where it's like, obviously nothing is going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I had never gone to the police, so mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, something that I thought I needed. And because I didn't know how the whole thing had affected me. So the woman who started that, the first woman who spoke out, Irene DeShane, mm-hmm. she was the catalyst for the beginning of my healing because she had the courage to speak out first. She went first. She went first. And I think that's the, that's the piece of it. Cause even in 2006 to be the one to be first and go forward um, takes a tremendous amount of courage. And who's to say, even if you would have gone to the police and I know this sounds really bad, but that many years ago, if anything, what, I don't know, right? Like things have changed. Conversations have changed. Things have opened up. And I know, I think I've shared this with you, but I know I had somebody say to me, probably like when everything was coming to surface with the Weinstein case saying, what is with these women? Why don't they just come forward when it happens? And I stood there and I was like, you didn't just say that. Like, I can't even imagine. He goes, why? Like, why would they not? And I said, well, because people didn't believe us back then we were shunned, shamed, silenced, And he's like, wait, you, we, you. And I said, yeah. He goes, why didn't you tell me? Because I don't need to announce it. It's not something we have to announce, but it's something that was not taken very seriously. So, you know, it's, it's one of those cases where it could almost, you could go back and change things and still be in the exact same position and dealing with that, the shame, the silence voice for all those years. So I love hearing that you were in that space of saying, no, I definitely needed to come forward. 
And I just want to know what, even just briefly, like what that experience was like for you to finally be able to speak, share your voice and share your message. Oh my gosh. It was so powerful. Mm-hmm. I, once I started speaking, I didn't stop for that short period of time. I was very much in victim mode in that time. Mm -hmm. I was very angry and spoke out quite regularly in different venues. I, um, I was on the fifth estate. Um, They did a program that I was one of the featured um, people in that I spoke at, um, a victim services event. I spoke at a few events and then I was invited by the church to speak to the, all of the priests in the diocese and all of the lay people that work there. Mm. And, Oh, the power that was, I really, and I actually did speak at one church. Also, they allowed me to speak one Sunday and it just felt like I took back my power. Mm -hmm. I really, even though it was coming from a place where there was still a lot of anger, and I now know that I was very much still in the story then, Mm -hmm. and I hadn't learned the lessons that I have now, but but I was able to speak. I felt like I was speaking for all of those little girls Mm -hmm. because we had no voices then. And most of us had 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 no voices for many, many years. And some of the women who had been victimized were much older than I was. This had gone on for almost 50 years. So there were women in every different age category. So I felt like I was speaking for all of us. And that felt incredibly empowering because Nobody, nobody else had ever done that. Nobody else had ever spoken to the priest this way. Nobody else had ever, you know, shared the pain. So yeah, it felt, it felt very empowering. Thank you for sharing all of that. If you think about it, that, that, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's like bringing the abuser to justice in the largest case of non-residential sexual abuse by a Catholic priest in North America. Just put that into context in understanding for the listeners how big that case was. And I mean, we've all seen there's so many other movies and um, things that have come out since then. And it it has been a serious problem. It's been it's it's not isolated. It has sadly been a serious problem. So I'm glad that you were able to speak in those environments and that context, because it is something that needs to be looked at to maybe further understand, like, where is this problem originating from? Yeah. And I mean, we were, we are, we ended up forming a group where there were two of us who were nominated by um, the the survivors to sit on a, a group with some people from the church to try and to look at and um, some people from the justice system to come up with a plan as to a community who might have to deal with this. How would they move forward? What kinds of things could be put in place to protect this, to to protect um, children from this type of thing happening? So that again was very empowering to be really, there were things that were done. There were 
I don't know that there was enough done, but there were definitely steps that were taken to ensure that this didn't happen the way it did with us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing all of that. As you have come through that, and I appreciate you saying, you know, you recognize that you were still in that victim space, which why would you not be like, it's not, I think this is the, a really important thing is it's not about ever shaming ourselves for being in that victim mindset. Nothing had happened to help you move through that. Exactly. Like it's, I had I, taken it and pushed it down. Yep. Um, as a child, I didn't have any help in coping with it. Nope. So I just pushed it down. So yeah, that was the first time that it actually became visible really to me. Mm -hmm. And even when I, even it's it's so interesting because even when I first went, came forward, I actually said to the church and to the police, I was one of the lucky ones because the abuse hadn't really affected me. Mm. So even to that point, I was still in denial. I had done such a good job of keeping it hidden and again, I was very wrong, but that was, that was my initial thought. But it was real for you at that time. Right. And it's like, it feels real that it's like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I know there are times when I'm watching something and I will almost have a visceral reaction to something that's happening on the screen. And I'm like, what is that? What does that bring up for me? And it's just, I don't want to watch it. I don't want it. I actually, it's like, I watched the handmaid's tale for a bit and I'm like, I can't watch it anymore. I just don't, I don't want to put that into me because it just hits a little, it's not the same. I'm not saying that, but it's, I think that's the sign that we have that in us, that that's still trapped in us. Yeah. I feel exactly the same way about the handmaid's tale. Yeah. There's not too many series that I've started and stopped. And that one, I was like, no, that's just not what I need to be putting in. When we have lived through trauma, like I don't have to watch it again to see it. And I watched a movie and I can, it was about addiction and I can see it. I don't know if it was the good. Oh my gosh. I can't think of what the name of it is. I'll have to look it up. But when I watched it, I went to the movie theaters and watched it and when it finished, I can't tell you how many people openly said that's the ending. And I'm like, but that's the real life. Like, and that's the piece that not everybody wants to see the real life. They want to see, you know, the movie version of what does it look like, but the real version, the unknown, when you're dealing with traumas and addiction and things like the unknown is the reality. Like that is the reality. Exactly. It's messy. It's messy. It's so messy. It's hard. It's messy. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, it was like kind of the lowest of the low for me trying to, you know, to walk through when you make a decision that you are going to walk through it, Mm -hmm. that you are going to work to get to the other side of it, to come out the other side. It's messy and it's hard And it's heartbreaking in many ways, Mm -hmm. but there definitely is so much peace and hope on the other side of it. Yeah. That's it. And I, that's the piece I want to lead into now, because anybody who's listening, I want them to know, like you can work through incredibly difficult situations 
and come on the other side of it and see things differently. It's still always a part of us. So where was a point where you could feel like that shift that's like, I'm getting some of my power back. I feel like, wait, this doesn't have to define me. And maybe I'm meant to do something with it. What were some of those shifts like for you? Oh, you know, I think the shifts happened over many years. It was definitely not a quick kind of turn on the switch for me because remember like back in 2006, we didn't have people talking about these kinds of things. We didn't have the internet where you could get into a support group. We didn't have, we didn't have any of those things. And so I really went out and found my own supports. I didn't, you know, we didn't, I went to a a therapist Mm -hmm. and that helped to a certain point. And then I realized that that wasn't what I needed anymore. I didn't need to keep going over the story. And it really was getting honest with myself and starting to understand that what had happened had hugely affected my life. And I wasn't happy with how it was going. I wasn't happy with the person I was. There were many things that I wanted to change in myself. And I think that that beginning of the healing and understanding that maybe I can change because for years I lived thinking, this is just who I am. Like, sorry, this is me. You know, like this is the best you're going to get. There's nothing. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm so laughing because I know I've said those words. This is me. You know what you got. This is me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know what? Like, yeah, this is just who I am. And I Mm -hmm. believed that. Mm -hmm. And so as I started to uncover some of these things, like I really started, I really started to understand that I was like underneath all that crap that had been covering me. I didn't even really know who I was. It was like, I was a stranger to myself. So then I started to kind of see little bits of goodness, little bits of, you know, and that made me want to continue to explore. So, but I had to get really honest and I had to say, and because there was not a lot of support, like had I had, I think to myself now, had I had a coach, because I didn't need a therapist anymore. I needed somebody because, you know, and I just was listening to a podcast today and they were talking about the fact that we are not, we are terrible at seeing our own crap. We're terrible at seeing where we stop ourselves, where we keep ourselves stuck. Like we are not good at that at all because it feels safe. So we stay there Mm -hmm. to have a coach or a therapist or whatever to see those things and to start to call you out on those. Mm -hmm. That's where you start to change, but I didn't have that. So I started searching In books, I read a ton of books. I went to every event that I could because I knew that I needed to, I needed to change me and I needed to start taking responsibility for the person that I was. Mm -hmm. I'd never, ever done Mm -hmm. that in my life. And so I just consumed everything I could get my hands on 
And slowly I started to change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can happen. It could have happened a lot quicker for me had I had somebody who could say to me, you know, call me out on things. And, but I didn't have that. I had to call myself out. So I think that's why it took so much longer because you're a lot, you don't call yourself out as quickly as somebody else can call you out. Especially not in the beginning, like, especially not in the beginning when you're still in this space of saying like, I don't like where I'm at, but I don't have a clue how to change this. It's like, it's really hard to cut, to call yourself out when you're in the middle of that piece of it. I very similar to you is like, I, I know the power of therapists. I've had many, I 100% there's power in them. I also knew for me, maybe because I was living in chaos at the same time was like, I actually don't have time to sit here and talk about like, can you just tell me what I need to do next? Like, what can I do? And so for me, and that was early, even podcasts, but podcasts and audiobooks and YouTube, like I can't even not, I can't tell you how many different things I watched on YouTube, anything that could help me to change my state allowed me to see that there was a different ending, a different possible ending. And I think that's where it started to open up, but I, I agree with you. Like, I think it obviously takes the amount of time that it takes, but with the right people and the right resources and the willingness to keep digging in and doing the work and like working through the muck, because we've got buried muck. That's like decades old, like decades. <laughs> right. And I had, I mean, I had been such a, my protection was this wall of defensiveness where mm-hmm. I never admitted my faults. I never admitted when I was wrong. I never took responsibility. So it was a total shift for me. And even as I started to shift, it's funny because the people closest to me who had always known me that way started to, I don't want to say it wasn't, but they, they started to kind of pick things like they would say, well, you know, well, this is the way you always deal with this, or of course you're going to say this when really I was starting to not be that person anymore, Mm -hmm. but in a way they were kind of keeping me, I don't want to say stuck because they weren't, they were supportive, but, but they only knew the other me Mm -hmm. and I was changing. And that's hard, especially for people who are really close to you. Um, It's hard to watch them change Mm -hmm. and grow. So that was a, that was also a bit of a, you know, kind of an adjustment for all the people in my life as I started to change. So would you say that if you look at yourself now compared to 2006 and prior, you are a very different person now? I don't even recognize myself. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I lived my life in so much anger was just my natural state. Mm -hmm. That was my natural state. I looked for things to be offended every day. That was what I searched for. And of course, that's what I found. Mm -hmm. So I was constantly in that state of anger, anxiety, um, comparison. I never felt good about me. And today, that is so different. Um, And sometimes when I see myself respond to things, I think back to the way I would have responded, um, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. And that's where I really see the growth is in those difficult moments, in those challenging moments where I would have 
yelled or blamed somebody else or those are the things where I can say, good job, Kellyanne, you've, you've transformed that you are a different person. So no, today I live my life with so much peace and joy and gratitude. And I did not live my life like that before. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I think for anybody who's listening, like if you could feel yourself or see yourself in that state of like anger, shame, what that's done to yourself. And then now like it's, it can happen. You can completely change who you are. It's very possible. Um, and that story doesn't have the power over you anymore that it used to. It's still part of you. It's still, it's still something that of course you wish hadn't, wasn't part of your story. I mean, who wouldn't, but it's a case of this is part of me and this is part of who I am, but it doesn't have the power over you that it used to. Well, and I think I be, I started to look at all the challenges that I had in my life, not just that trauma, but all the challenges that I had walked through. And I started to not be happy they happened, but I had a certain gratitude for them because I used them to become the woman that I am today. And I believe that everything, you know, and my mom used to always say this to me when I was young and, you know, boyfriends, breaking up with boyfriends, and I was devastated. My mom would say, this is going to make you a better person. And I always hated when she said that because that is not what I wanted to hear at the time. No. But you can either choose to make, those for those challenges to make you a better person, or you can choose for them to make you bitter and angry. So now I've chosen that each experience I've walked through now, I know it has, I have pushed myself to grow through it. And that's a choice. That's definitely a choice because that's not how I used to handle things. Um, I would just go deep into the, the victim mode. But now those things are the catalysts which allow me to to see what are you made of and what do you want to be made of? Who do you want to be? So each time now I go through those challenges, I say that to myself. Who do you want to be in this situation? Mm -hmm. Who are you now? And that has changed everything for me. Yeah, that's such a, who do you want to be in this situation? That is such a great question on deep reflection, like really looking internal and saying, who do you want to be in this situation? Yeah. I, I love yes. that question. I'm sure you can relate to this, Marcia, because we've talked about it. I used to always want to be the fighter. <laughs> I always wanted to be, that's just, that was my natural. I was always the fighter. And I was a good I, fighter. I was a good fighter. Yeah, me too. Me yeah. too. Like I, and now I don't need to be the fighter anymore. Mm-mm. I want to be the one who, who shows the compassion, who brings the connection back, like, which is so different from the person that I, I, and this person who does that, who works to bring things back into peace. And, um, that's the person I want to be. Mm-hmm. I want everybody to remember me as that person, not the woman 
who did all the fighting. Uh, mind you, I'll still fight. If oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, I will still fight. It's okay. I, there yeah. are times, even in this past month, mm-hmm, it's been exactly. beneficial. It's been beneficial yeah. for me to have that side. Whenever we get into a certain situation and I can, my husband just sits there and he's like, okay, here we go. Like, I yeah. know what she's going to do. And it comes in handy. It really does. But I don't live there. I think that's the difference, right? Is I don't live there. I lived there. Like that was, that was the only space I lived. Mm -hmm. And so I will easily dance back into that energy because that's really who I am at the core, but I certainly don't live there anymore. And I think that's a, that's a big distinction. Um, It's funny because I've had a few friends who I've known since I was younger like, uh, and only a couple that I still stay in contact with. And one of them said to me, she said, you know, it's almost funny. You're such a completely different person. And I said, I know it's great. Isn't it? Like, it's funny. Like it, and that's okay. You can become a very different person through the process. People who know me now don't know that, but back then uh, the fighter was the only person who lived. That was the only person that was was there. And so I think that that's interesting and it's okay to allow yourself to change, but even through that change, there are people who in my life who will push the fighter because they, they were used to, like, you wanted to get an argument going. It was easy with me. It actually wasn't hard at all. And now I'm like, eh. and, and, and it's almost, they're confused because it's like, what, what's happening. And it's like, it's just not worth the energy. I'm not interested in fighting. Mm-hmm that's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had people, it's funny because people who I've only known for like less than 10 years mm-hmm. when I, because I'm very open with sharing how I've changed and I'll say, you know, I've said to people before, well, you know, I would have blown up over that before, or that would have, you know, I would have handled that situation very different, differently. And they'll say, really, I can't imagine that that was you. Mm-hmm. And that makes me happy. Exactly. I think, yes, that's, I don't want people, I want to, I want people to look at me now and say, I can't imagine that you lived your life in so much anger and fighting Mm -hmm. because that's, I'm a new person now. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want people to know. That's the person I want people to know. Yeah. I love it. I, I see it. I see you and I recognize it very clearly as we're going through this you are now like, how do you see yourself in the role of what you're doing, how you show up, how you share, how you talk? What are you passionate about doing now in the work that you're passionate about doing based on everything that you've walked through? So I spent probably, I'm going to say about 15 years figuring out how to get to where I was about a year ago. Mm -hmm. And it took me lots of time and it took me lots of resources. And And it wasn't a simple path. And when the pandemic started, I went back to what feels good for me, which is working on myself, Mm -hmm. self-development. Like I consider myself a, you know, kind of a personal development junkie. I love everything. And so I went back to that. And while I was doing that, I found this, these teachings. They were by Bob Proctor. Mm -hmm. And I really dove into it. And the more I dove into it, the more I realized that what he was teaching and the program that he offered was exactly what I had taken 15 years to get to. Oh, wow. It was all there in front of me. And 
it, I know that I had to walk my journey through it. And I don't regret that, that it took me 15 years to get there. But I saw this process where I realized that people don't have to do this. They don't have to take 15 years to walk through this. With this information and with this support, they can transform their lives. Mm -hmm. And so when I learned that, it just set me on fire because I thought, I want everybody to know this. Like, I want everybody to know that you can totally transform, that you can be a person that you weren't proud of, which I was for many years, Mm -hmm. and become a person who you can be very proud of. And I wanted people to know um, that there were steps, there were things you could do, because for me, it was always very elusive. It was, you know, maybe this next book. And, and what would happen is I'd find a book and I'd, I'd pick something from it. And that would be great. I'd carry that on the next leg of the journey. And then I'd find another podcast or, and I would take that with me and I'd add it to my backpack. And what I found was this, these teachings gave me a full backpack. It gave me everything that I needed. And so I desperately wanted to share that with the world. And so that's what I'm doing now is I'm, you know, I'm sharing this information and this knowledge. And I guess, you know, some of the experience and wisdom I have gained over the last 15 years to help people break the patterns that are keeping them where they are, to learn and to understand that they can live a life that they love and that abundance is their birthright and it is all around them. They just have to be open to it and they have to stop blocking themselves from letting it be a part of their life. And I did that for years. So I want, that's what I'm passionate about is helping people to live a life that they love and to be the person, to be a person they can be very proud of. Regardless of what stories they've walked through. Exactly. Yeah. Regardless of what stories they've walked through. And thank you for sharing all of that. As you're sharing that, one of the things that I always love, because I've heard you say it many times and it's something I've written and I speak and I say to myself, but is that abundance is our birthright. Mm -hmm. So for anybody who's listening, and they immediately, it's a trigger, right? Like these words are, these words are triggers. Let's just call that out. And they're hearing it and they're like, yeah, that's easy for them to say, or that's easy for, can you break that down? Abundance is your birthright because everybody's going to assume I'm talking about money. I know it's, it's only money is what people go to. So I would just love it if you would just break that down. Sure. So I believe in a higher power. Um, for me, it's God, whatever it is for you, if it's universe, source, divine energy, whatever it is for you, if you believe in a higher power, I see that higher power because I am a parent. I see that higher power as a parent. We know as parents that we only ever want the best for our children. They are going to suffer and they are going to have challenges, but what we want for them is only the best. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that is what 
our higher power wants for us that we were not we were not put here on earth to suffer mm-hmm. we were not put here our our role is not to suffer and to endure pain that's not why we were put here we were put here to enjoy all of the abundance that this life has doesn't mean there's not going to be challenges of course we're all going to have challenges but the abundance in relationships in love in success in in imagination in money in every area that is available to all of us i firmly believe that now for years i didn't feel that way i watched i believed that life was a zero sum game that there was a pie and everybody got a slice of pie and if you got a bigger slice of pie that meant i had a smaller one so i lived my life in lack believing that um there was only so much to go around my vision has totally changed because now i believe that the pie is unlimited and if you have a big slice of pie that means i can have it too that there is abundance everywhere we just have so many um conditioned thoughts and feelings and responses that we block so much of that abundance from coming to us and often it's because we don't feel worthy of it which is what i spent my life not feeling worthy of it so when you can when you can flip that and begin to feel like you are worthy i think that's when the world opens up to you and that's not an easy transformation for sure that takes a lot of healing and a lot of growth our world is an abundant world you know when you look at all the other creatures on the earth they have everything they need and that's the way it has been created so why would the creator ever do less for us than the birds in the sky than the great example what a great example seriously i love that example and i love how you said like the world is responding to who we feel we are or what we feel we deserve Mm-hmm. And if we are in the space of not feeling worthy or don't feel that we deserve um, the same slice of pie as somebody else, then that's what we that's what we see because what we see is real. Like what we see is real. Exactly. And what we look for, we will see. We always find so it. If, if we look for lack, we will always find lack. If we look for abundance. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. <laughs> you will see abundance. Mm-hmm. And you know, I firmly believe in the law of attraction mm-hmm. and that is the whole idea of that. Yeah. Is when you are open to that and when you are because everything is energy. Mm-hmm. Everything is energy and when we are vibrating on the level of the things that we desire those things will be attracted to us. That doesn't mean that we don't have to do the work. 
doesn't mean that we don't have to work hard that, you know, doesn't mean they're just going to suddenly come, but it does mean that the right doors will open. The right people will come into your life. The right opportunities will come to help you to grow into that person who can receive mm-hmm. all of that abundance. Mm, I love, I love everything that you're sharing. And if you are listening again, I want you just to, if you have a moment here where it's like, okay, but that's not where my life is at. Remember, go back to the beginning, listen to Kellyanne's story, what she's come through. It is possible to shift that. So if there's a person who's listening right now, who is feeling that lack frustration, because maybe they don't see it and it's not available for them. What is a piece of advice that you can give them to help to shift that? For me, the thing that changed my life the most was gratitude because you can't, when you are in the moment of gratitude, you cannot, when you're having a grateful feeling, you cannot be anxious. You cannot be in lack. Um, So starting to be grateful for the things that I did have Mm -hmm. um, because I took so many of those things for granted. I always looked at what I didn't have, Mm -hmm. right? It's kind of like the gap in the game, Marcia, right? It is. We always look at what we don't have. And when we're always in that energy of not having, we're not appreciating what we do have. So I started being grateful for the things that I did have Mm -hmm. and wasn't just a practice. Um, well, it became a practice for me, but it started to just be now it's something that I just do naturally. But if you want to start a practice just throughout your day, it doesn't have to be a journal. It doesn't have to be anything like that, but throughout your day, begin the day by making the intention that you're going to look for something to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. Even if it's one thing to start out with. And maybe it's just that, you know what? You had a good hair day. Maybe it's that, you know, you had a good night's sleep. Maybe it's that your, your child who usually gives you a hard time in the morning was cooperative. It doesn't have to be something really big. Once you start seeing how that changes your energy and changes your vibration, it kind of becomes addictive because then you say, Oh, I want this feeling to continue. Why so, wouldn't you, right? Like, why right? wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. Because mm-hmm. that vibration of gratitude, of joy, is such a high vibration. And you're not always going to feel it, of course. But if you can start to just introduce little bits of it mm-hmm. in your life, mm-hmm. And for me, it was very much living in the moment because I didn't do that. I worried about the future. I thought about the past. Um, I didn't live in the moment. But when you start to be a little bit more present, then you can start to be grateful. So whether it's the the cup of coffee that you're having or the, um, the conversation with one of your kids or, you know, the getting paid that day, like your paycheck. Um, because we there's lots of things to not be grateful for that we focus on. So to me, it, that was the shift for me that really changed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I tried all the, like, I used to, you know, I'd watch Oprah and she'd say, write down 10 things that you're grateful for every night. And, and that just didn't work for me. I now have a gratitude practice where I do write that down, Mm -hmm. but it, it had to evolve. I had to start really small. I thank you for sharing that because if you're listening, you know, my story on gratitude, like I was very triggered by gratitude practices because it just didn't feel real to me. It felt like I was faking because I couldn't see it. And instead of thinking, write your 10 things down, et cetera, like you're better off to write one thing down, stop, appreciate it, embody it, like live in it, experience it. That changed the game for me tenfold more than writing 10 gratitude practices. It has to be the feeling. It has yep. to be the emotion. Like yeah. that, yeah, you, you can't just write it down and have it be, you know, kind of robotic. I'm just writing down my gratitudes. No. There has to be a feeling in it. And that's how you raise your vibration. That's how you change your state. It has to have a feeling. So if it's one thing a day, mm-hmm. commit to one thing a day. Mm-hmm. And it, it will become, it is a practice. It's still Mm -hmm. a practice for me. I still, you know, can go through the day and think, oh my gosh, I went through the whole day and I didn't specifically think of something that I was grateful for. Mm -hmm. And then it just reminds me, okay, I got to, I want to start again because I know that I, I am much happier. I am in much, a much better state. I am much more in the moment Mm -hmm. when I focus on the things to be grateful for. Yeah. That's the, I think that's the piece that I'm, I, I cannot remember the quote. I always get this one wrong, but it said, if you're focused, if you are feeling depression, you are living in the past. If you're feeling anxiety or you're living in the future and the only moment where you can feel gratitude is in the present moment. Mm-hmm. So that explains why, like I couldn't feel it because I actually didn't want to live in my present moment, to be honest, because it was, it didn't feel good. And so I resisted that. So that's my reminder. Even now when anxiety comes up, I literally will stop and say, wait, that's, that doesn't even happen yet. Like that's Mm -hmm. not even, that's not even real. It hasn't happened yet. So let's not even go there mentally. And I, I love that you shared that. So I think it's just for anybody who's listening, there's permission to build your practice a way that feels good to you. Like find something that feels good and allow yourself to navigate you know, you, you're going to hear a lot. You've heard lots here. You're going to hear lots of other people's ideas on how to build like your daily habits, your practices, but be willing to try and say like, what feels good for me and adopt it yourself. But it definitely, that's why we call it a practice, right? It's not a one size fits all. For me, I believed for many years that the way I thought about things was the right way to think about things. Mm-hmm. I believed that my thinking was the right way. And when you start to challenge your thinking and say, maybe I should try something different because Mm -hmm. what I'm doing is getting me exactly the same thing that I've always got. And I'm not happy with that. So I think that's what I started to do with gratitude. I heard people talking about it and I'd say, you know, yeah, that's great. That's great. I am grateful. I am grateful. But when I started to to really challenge that, okay, well, maybe your way of gratitude is not working. Like maybe you need to try something different. Maybe we could just be open to try something else. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I wasn't, I, I spent my life not being open to other people's suggestions. Mm-hmm. So for me, that is one thing that has totally changed my life is I, I now think 
maybe the way I've always done things because like the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's how I live my life. A hundred percent. And I, and that I know is going to relate to a ton of people. I know, I know. So as you talk about this and you're like, you share all of these things, I know that this is part of the work, part of the um, process of everything you're doing and moving forward. Like what is coming up on the horizon for you? Like, I know you have a story coming out that is going to be published, but what's coming up on the horizon for you? I don't know. I'm open to all possibilities. Um, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) But yes, um, I have written a collaborative book called She is Worthy that Mm -hmm. um, hopefully will be coming out sometime soon. Mm -hmm. I, after my unspoken event, I am sure that I'm going to do that again. Mm -hmm. That's definitely something I am going to continue to do somewhere down the road. I, I'm just going to continue to share, share the things that have made a difference for me and my experience and my journey. And I'm, you know, I have been doing some master classes and I'm going to continue to do that. And I'm going to continue to, to just post and, and share share the things that I know have, um, have made all the difference for me because I, I just want other people. I hope my hope and my, I know I shouldn't say my hope because I do know that all of this sharing that we do, that you do, that I do, that so many other people in your community do that it does impact somebody again, even if it's one person, if I can help one person, to have the kind of transformation to transform their whole lives like I did, then I'm going to keep talking. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to bring it back to this question from the beginning, not to go and shift gears into a not positive. That's not what we're doing, but I want to ask you as a person who has been sharing her story what happens or how do you navigate when you do get the comments or the things that are not necessarily encouraging? I had one last week that I turned it. I sat there. I had a hot second where I was like, ouch, that one stung. I sent it. I I showed my husband. He was like, whoa, (laughs) it's like, it's not very nice because we know that there are, I can call them trolls because I don't know what to call them people who literally sit there on the internet and are waiting to pounce with negative comments. But we also can get those comments from people closest to us. And it does happen. So when it comes to sharing your story or to learning how to put your voice to something, how do you navigate or how did you navigate different feedback or comments or things that you would get? I got a lot of negative comments um, when I was sharing my story 15 years ago. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever more than that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get a lot of negative comments because I was speaking out against an institution yes. that many people felt um, very connected to. Yeah. And when I was the victim and when I was very much in my story, those things were very difficult mm-hmm. to, um, to navigate. But I also had so much support that 
I really just tried to let those things go um, because I was thinking those things, of course, in my head, they were, those things were going through my head too. what pe- these people were saying. Yep. But I think now it's interesting because this podcast that I listened to today, they said, she said, when I start to get haters, I know that I'm doing something right. And what I say to myself is, those are the exact people that need to hear my message. Oh, that's so good. That's so, so good. That's, and that's what I try and do when I, now when I have people who may be, especially people close to me who question what I do, mm-hmm. I, I always, the one thing, and I'm going to share this because this is one thing that I have learned that has served me so well in every part of my life is the difference between advice and counsel. So advice can come from anybody. And um, those haters, those people who tell you you're not doing what you should be doing or you shouldn't be doing this, those, those people are not doing the things that you want to do. Counsel comes from people who have done the things that you want to do or who are the people that you respect in the industry or whatever that you're speaking about. So those people, their feedback, their Um, what they're going to share with you, those are the people that you need to listen to Mm -hmm. because advice is cheap. And, you know, I've had so many people over the years give me advice and they were people advice on things that, you know, whether it be, let's just look at finances, for example, I was getting advice from people who didn't have what I wanted in my financial life. Why was I listening to them? They hadn't even done what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So when I started to shift and now who I listen to and who I read and who I um, listen to podcasts, these are people who are doing what I want to do. These are people who are where I hope to be at some point. Mm -hmm. They are offering counsel because they have walked the walk. They have done the thing. Um, Those are the people that I really choose to listen to over the advice that can come from anybody. What a great distinction, seriously, like what a great distinction. And that um, I know will be helpful for people because in the beginning, you know, you really, I think you have to look at it that really want to focus on the council, the people who are living and doing and, and have overcome the stories that, you know, you admire But in the beginning, when you're trying to navigate your way, we get very much wrapped up in the advice from people who at the core of it, maybe just have what they feel is our best interests at heart, but it's not our best interests. It's, you know, so that's that piece of it. I really want, I'm so glad that you answered it the way that you did and you shared it because I know that's going to be a question for people. Well, and I think that everybody looks at what we're doing or what anybody's doing through their own lens. Yep. So when you, if it's a stranger, you don't really know what their lens is, but when it's somebody who's close to you, you know, the lens that they're looking at things through. Mm -hmm. And when you can be aware of that, Mm -hmm. it, 
it just makes you understand it a bit more. And I think it, it maybe lessens the blow because you, you know, as you, the more you work on yourself, the more you start to recognize things in other people. Oh, right. <laughs> yes. And that is said like with no judgment, that's just an observation. Exactly. Just I an can observation. see it really fast now. And I'm like, oh, I know where you are in your story. Yeah. And that's okay. There's yeah. nothing wrong with it because like you, I spent probably most of my life in the victim mindset, to be honest, it's not a, it was, it was probably a big chunk of my life is where I spent it there. And so that's why can I recognize it so fast? Cause I live there too. Mm-hmm. I did. I live there too. So yeah. it's, it's that piece of it. Um, wow. So good. That's so good. So we will make sure that everything is available in the show notes and available for people to connect with you. I love everything that you're doing. You know, I'm like crazy proud of everything that you're doing. I really am because you are really being a voice for all of the shame stories that we've held on to all of the silence that's there. It changes the story for the next person and you're giving others permission to do that. And I think that it's incredibly powerful and I'm so grateful that you're here sharing your story in this way. So thank you. Thank you, Marcia. And I truly appreciate you because you have helped me so much. Grateful. Honestly, I'm grateful. And I, did you like this little push of being on the podcast to share your story? I, I love pushing. I say it in a nice way. I love nudging my clients towards growth. No, it's all good. It's all good when you do something outside your comfort zone, right? Yep. Even when we resist it, but I knew, like, I knew there was going to be such great tangible tools for people who are in that space of saying, but I don't know how to change my story. I don't know what to do. Sometimes we have to hear someone else's and then it's like, oh, not out of comparison. It's just that, you know what? They did it. So it's possible. So how do I do it? And that's what I think is really valuable about what you shared today. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I have one more question for you. What lesson in life are you most grateful for? I think about that for a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say um, probably the lesson that I've learned that has maybe um, been something that I know a lot of people don't get the opportunity to to learn or to fully embrace is um, forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I've had to do a lot of it in my life. Um, I shouldn't say I've had to do it. I've chosen to do it. Mm -hmm. And understanding that forgiveness is a, a decision that we make not a feeling is probably um, the most important lesson I've learned because that now will go through me with me through my life. And I know I will have to use it many, many times as we all do. Um, so that's probably been my, my best lesson. What a beautiful way to say it. Forgiveness is a decision, not a feeling. And I think this is a really powerful distinction because there is, I think when we teach, teach, when we talk about forgiveness, it can be like a one track of thinking that I have to forgive that person, that experience. 
And that's a really blurry line. And I think that we have to be very mindful of that, but it's a decision because it's choosing. What do we carry? I always go back to like, what am I choosing to carry? And oh my God, my, my backpack was shoved full of everything and three quarters of it wasn't mine. And it was like, this is not, I, it's too heavy. It's weighing me down. It's, it's, and I, the forgive, the forgiveness piece of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a great, that's a lot of what I had to do was forgiving mm-hmm. myself. Um, and I think that, um, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, when, when we're holding on to that, um, that anger, that resentment, whatever it is, it has power over us. Huge power. And when you make the decision, you are to forgive. You're not making it for the other person. You're making it for you. Mm-hmm. You're releasing yourself from it. Um, and it has just made all the difference in my life. Thank you so much. And honestly, thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.